Woo, that was, I mean, you had to have a little energy to do that set, that worship set. Like, there's something about coming in and just letting her rip, and I really appreciate the, uh, the worship team. I was telling Connor, I feel like that was, has been the soundtrack to my summer. Like, all those songs are on my playlists as we've been driving, and um, we've been driving a lot this summer, and it was nice to have a little time away last weekend. It was, um, it was nice to just rest and get ready as we go into the fall. Um, I also think it was just nice to have a chance to rest and reflect on just what a wonderful um, week of camp that, um, that our youth group had up at Hume Lake and just how significant that has been. And I'm just so grateful for Andrew and the counselors and his team um, just for, for what ha- that has done within, um, and hearing about life change. I mean, here's, here's the thing, like we, we, we're looking, we want to fill the baptistry, right? We want to, these are the sorts of things that we want to, that pump us up. And I feel like there's a resonance as we hear about um, hearing the gospel and responding to the gospel. And so that, that's been a wonderful time. And I think this summer has been a great time for that. I think um, it's also important as we, um, as we begin this morning and as we kind of enter into this time, one person who would, who would have loved the report about camp um, was Howard Vaughn. And Howard actually went to be with Jesus yesterday morning. I know he and Faye were a big part of this um, congregation for many years, and Howard was a great encouragement to me. I have a book that he, he, would, be, he would send me books. Like, you know, he, he, he's homebound. He went over to Kirkwood later, and he's still he's sending books. He's like, Pastor Craig, you got to read this book. you got to read this book. And I'm like, look, when I'm 80-whatever, I want to be encouraging pastors and being like, hey, and it's not like they're old books. These are like new books, and he's still, he was still reading. He was still growing. I think this idea that Howard was this, our value of the, a congregation of growing people, like Howard embodied that till the day he went to Jesus. He was growing in his faith, and I think just what a wonderful example he, was, he has been. I know that um, so many of our men, Mark and, um, and Bill Peterson and Gordy, went to um, have meals with him once a week. But just what a wonderful example. I just wanted to make sure that we, um, we, just under, we heard that news and we know that um, we'll be hearing about uh, uh, opportunities for a memorial. Um, and um, Mike and Debbie will be letting us know about that. So um, very nice. I also wanted to say a big thanks to Connor Haas for stepping in last week. And for Grace Church Orange for lending him over to us and uh, for Pastor Mike for doing that. We just love, we love the city, the churches in the city of Orange. And we don't believe it's a coincidence that God has put us both in the same city to reach the city. And so we want that partnership to be alive. And Connor certainly brought um, the message of the greatness of Jesus. And that's something that we cannot say enough here. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. You're like, Pastor Craig, didn't you preach on this the last two times you were here? Yes, Psalm 23, but we're making it through. I don't even know if I should like have another week in Psalm 23. There's so much in this psalm. It's such a wonderful psalm. And actually, um, this is, so this is our third week in the 23rd Psalm. And this is perhaps uh, the most beloved of all the psalms. There are 150 psalms. But if you ask somebody who either has been in church their whole life or maybe has never stepped foot into church, Psalm 23 might be the one psalm that they know, that the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And as we, uh, the, psalm, the, the psalms, interestingly enough, are prayers, and they've been used for millennia to celebrate, to give thanks, and the expression Hallelujah. You guys have heard that, that expression, hallelujah. In Hebrew, it means praise the Lord, praise Yahweh. 
And that is in the Psalms over and over and over. But the interesting thing about prayers is prayers are not always hallelujah. We all know that. That sometimes, like the song says, that rains come and winds blow, right? And so the Psalms are also been used for millennia to grieve and ask hard questions to God. Where are you, God? How long, O Lord? Why? And the Psalms bear witness to this great swath, this great spectrum of our encounters in this world, all the way from hallelujah to how long, O Lord, and that's the Psalm. Psalm 23 has a bit of both of that in there, thanksgiving, as well as a nod to the deep darkness that paths of righteousness can leave us on. But Psalm 23 is what we call a psalm of confidence. It had been written by a person, a psalmist, presumably David, who had been to the pit that for some reason or another, whether it was his own sin or whether it was the circumstances of a fallen world or whether it was enemies, he had been to the pit, he had been to the valley, the valley of deep darkness, but had come out. And now in this season, as he puts paper to uh, pen to paper, and he writes about this, maybe the idea of even a looming anxiety that something is on the horizon, as he writes the 23rd Psalm, which wouldn't have been called the 23rd Psalm at the time, but as he writes this Psalm, that this idea that the confidence that God is with me, and we noted that the main point of Psalm 23 is that 28 words, 28 words, right in the middle of that are these two Hebrew words, in, in English four words, and it is, you are with me. And that's the main point of Psalm 23, you are with me. It's not just God is with me, that's a great theological statement, but you are with me is a prayer of feeling the presence of God. You are with me. And that is something that, for me, I want that to be on my lips. I I pray that it would be something that on your lips, as you go through the various seasons of life, Psalm 23 and this companion would say, you are with me. It teaches us how to pray. And so far, we've worked through the first few verses of the psalm, the first four, actually. And as we have, we've been creating a paraphrase. I've been doing this. Um, I really, I do like paraphrases. They are helpful. They amplify a little bit of the Bible. Um, and in your note, or in your bulletin, the paraphrase that I've been kind of constructing as we work through this um, is on there. And so I just want to kind of walk through it. If you don't have your bulletin, um, just listen along, and you can hear the line, the, the traditional line, or the line from the ESV, and then the paraphrase. In Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the paraphrase is, Jesus shepherds me, I will be content. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And we amplify that by saying he lays me down in a place of fresh growth. He escorts me to waters where I can rest. He restores my soul. We talked about this idea of cast sheep that can't get up. They've fallen and they can't get up. And the paraphrase, he sets upright my cast soul. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He guides me onto the right paths. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. And we talked about this idea. Even though these paths go through valleys of deep darkness, I will fear no evil. Sometimes the paths of righteousness go through the valley of deep darkness. For you are with me because you are with me. 
Your protecting club and guiding crook are comforts to me. And so what I want to do today is I want to finish our reflections in Psalm 23. There's so much there. There's so much we haven't even gotten to, but a chance for us to say something about this idea of the table that God prepares for us, uh, that this idea of anointing with oil, the overflowing cup, goodness and mercy, and dwelling in the house of the Lord. Just a little bit about each of those things. You guys ready? You guys with me this morning? All right, if you've got your Bible, let's open it up to Psalm 23, and let's look at this. So we have been looking at the psalm, and of course there's a great metaphor that is running through the psalm so far, right? The Lord is my shepherd, or the Lord shepherds me. God is a shepherd, and we are sheep, which is not a very you know, flattering image for you and I, but um, we are dumb. We do dumb things. Sheep are pretty dumb, and they do dumb things too, so I guess that is, there's parallel there. But at, there's some question among commentators about whether this metaphor of God as shepherd and us as sheep goes all the way through, because here we seem to have a little bit of a shift in the metaphor, which is not God as shepherd, but now we get to this idea of God as host. God as host. Look at 23.5. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And here's the pivot. This is the pivot off of the shepherding metaphor. And now this idea that there's a house, that God is in this house, that God is the the head of this house, that God is hosting, and that God has invited us and prepared for us a meal. God is offering hospitality. God has brought us in as a guest, and not just as a guest, but as a favored guest, as one who would come for whose sake, in whose honor, a meal is prepared. You guys ever do this at home? Like, it's every day of the week. It's like just regular stuff. We have this thing in the Hill household. Like, if it's not a special night, it's fend for yourself night, right? Does anybody have that night in your house? It's like whatever you can find, whatever can warm up, look, look in the freezer, look in the whatever's left over, fend for yourself. But then there's nights when you have people coming over, right? And it's not fend for yourself, is it? Like somebody's coming over, so we went, we went and we got special stuff. We went to Trader Joe's, maybe we got some chicken shawarma, we got the tzatziki sauce. Like we've really done it up. We've got the hummus, we're ready to go. we got the special thing. Like this is the idea that it's not just fend for yourself. God is not just fend for yourself night. Like God has invited you over and God is preparing a meal. He's preparing a table. So this idea that you are a favored guest, a special meal, and the psalmist understands that he's a favored guest, and God is preparing this special meal, honoring the psalmist, and here's the thing. He's honoring the psalmist in front of his enemies. And so this idea coming into the house is this idea, obviously there's honor there and there's protection there, but at the same time, to to prepare a meal where you are honored and your rivals are invited to the meal and you're the honored guest, that is the idea of vindication. Like you've had beef with these people. I know nobody in here has ever had any beef with anybody Okay, I mean, I will, I'll talk a little bit about my own process in this, but this idea that, that gathering around the rivals, gathering around the enemies, and God saying, I want to honor Craig, right? Like, it's vindication. This is the idea that God is not only protecting, but God is showing you right in the presence of your enemies. I suppose... 
one thing about this, and I, I want to kind of back off a little bit, go back up to the um, two things in this psalm, in a psalm of confidence, that I think earlier on in my Christian life, I don't think I would have had as much space for, and that is this, these two things. The valley of deep darkness and enemies. Like, for me, I think in a simpler, in a simpler understanding of Christian faith, it's like, well, Everyone who believes in Jesus always has joy and is always doing well, and every day is better than the one before. Like, like, and here's the thing, I think that there are seasons in our life where that does take place, where we feel like the wind is at our back and God is blessing every day, but the, but the problem is, that's not every season, even in a life of robust faith. Even in a life where you have, you've eschewed sin and you've repented of sin and you're, you're following hard after Jesus and your desire and your will, you're facing the Lord. That does not guarantee that we don't go through the valley of deep darkness. And I think early in my Christian life, I would not have had a category for this. And, but Psalm 23 is like so faithful to say, look, he leads me on paths of righteousness and sometimes those paths of righteousness go right through the valley of deep darkness. And, and for me, I think the other thing is like, look, if I just love Jesus, I will never have beef with any other Christian. And I can hear the chuckles in here. It's like, you all know that that's not true. If you've been in church long enough, you know that sometimes there are, there are, there are profound disagreements among believers. And as much as we love Jesus and we go back to that, that sometimes there, there are, and, and not just our, our, our believer friends or rivals, that there are people outside of the church that would sooner like to see the church shut down, that there are real enemies, that there are real rivals, that my charm, right, my charm is not going to win everybody over. And I do like Romans 12, 18, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. But self-report, over the years, I've developed some rivals over in, not only in the Christian world, in the non-Christian world, that there are people I've had deep disagreements with. I don't know if I'd call them enemies. And I guess this is a good, like enemies, I feel like enemies are like, they want you dead, they want your family dead. Like, I don't know anybody like that, that wishes me dead, okay? But I know that there are probably people that wish me that I would be proven wrong on something or would like to see me embarrassed about something. Does anybody, again, this is just me, probably none of you have this going on in your life. Okay? But I, I, think, um, I think we might be more familiar with this idea of having rivals. Whether it's enemies, maybe it's not enemies, but maybe you have a rival. People you've disagreed with over the years, but had to continue to interact with. Maybe people who you just couldn't live alongside. Maybe you had a friendship that went south, and you kind of had a breakup in a friendship. And there's still hard feelings. Maybe people that have, you've been, have run you out of an organization or that you've had to let go or fire or something like that. Or maybe, maybe you imagine, and again, maybe this is just me, but maybe you imagine having long conversations in your head or coming up with saying just the right thing to put that person in their place. I'm not, look, I'm just talking about me. Doesn't have to be you, Okay. But maybe, that's, maybe you've had those fantasies. I think the interesting thing is, in this psalm, you have the valley of deep darkness, but you also have 
enemies are mentioned, but the enemies are not outside the gates. The enemies are actually around the table. Like, I think this is the thing to me that is so shocking. In a psalm of confidence, it's that even as I'm in the fog and deep darkness of the valley of, the sh- of deep darkness, I'm not fearing any evil. And even though I'm surrounded by my rivals, I know that God will vindicate me. And I think at the same time, the reminder in this is that even though in the psalm it's this expectation that God is going to vindicate me, it's also the idea that even my rivals, even my rivals, even my enemies, God has invited to his table. Even my enemies, God has offered an invitation to the table. We might have beef, but God is is still inviting them. And I think this idea, like, the simplicity of, like, God will simply crush all my rivals, like, that's a simplistic way of thinking about it because we live in a fallen world, I'm a fallen person, and we have to understand that even my, it is my enemies, it is the wicked that actually the gospel is for. And Psalm 23 reminds us that, yes, this life of faith, this life with the shepherd, the life with the host, is still going to have the deep darkness and the presence of enemies. But in the midst of deep darkness and enemies, there is confidence that God is with us. It's not a simplistic spirituality in Psalm 23. It's complex. And our life is complex, and a deep faith is going to be complex because it will include the valley of deep darkness and our rivals and the idea that God is present in the midst of all that and even that God might even call us to reach out to our enemies or reach out to our rivals. I don't know if I had as much of that early in my Christian life. I feel like God has done work in my life that that graciousness of that God offers me is something that follows me as well. We'll talk about that as we talk about goodness and mercy. So he, you, prayer, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You arrange a special meal for me which vindicates me in front of my rivals. You know, here's the other, I think Jesus is such a great model of this. I mean, here's the thing. Remember, like, if you're ever in doubt, just mention Jesus. Jesus is why we're here. You know, what's the answer to the question is Jesus, right? Jesus is such a great example of one with a robust faith, but walked through valleys of deep darkness and invited his enemies to the table. Jesus is such a great example of this. I, even the idea that when we, when we participate in the Lord's Supper, and as this is remembered, it's, uh, this table is prepared, and the Apostle Paul says, you know, what, what was passed along to me, I'll pass along to you. And he says, it's this idea, on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, like the, the same night where his friends are going to desert him is the same night that he invites them to the meal. That, that's the idea. That's what God is offering to us, and that is what I think is transformative to us, that it, might, that it could come out of our own lives as well. So you arrange this special meal for me. It vindicates me in front of my rivals. We've got these two lines that follow that. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Now here's where 
we come back to this idea that maybe we've got the shepherd sheep analogy because anointing with oil for sheep um, in the summertime, you, you get a lot of flies. This summer, has anybody had any insects bother them? Okay, that's true. And if you're a sheep, you don't have hands to be like this. You're just like this. You can't, you know, how do you keep the flies away? So what shepherds will do is they'll cover sheep's head with like a, a, an oil or a tar or something like that. In Palestine, it's usually like olive oil with some, uh, with some spices in there, but it, it coats, especially the, like the, the membranes, the, the kind of the wet membranes around their mouth and their nose, and it keeps the flies from landing on them. And if the flies land, they die, so it, it comforts them, it soothes them. And so on one hand, the idea of oil on, on the head of a sheep is like preventative care for pests. And you're like, well, that sounds, pr- I, I've got a lot of pests in my life, and they're not, you know, like I need, <laughs> I'll take the oil, right? So in one way, that's preventative care. But in the other way, in the Old Testament, the idea of anointing someone with oil was the idea of anointing them for a special purpose and a special job. Really, only three jobs got anointed with oil in the Old Testament. If you were a king, you got anointed with oil on your head. When David becomes king, he's anointed as king. If you're a prophet, you're anointed. Isaiah is anointed. Jeremiah is anointed. And so they, are, they have oil poured on them. And then priests, earlier, Aaron is the first one who's anointed in the Old Testament to be called as a priest. And so prophet, priest, king, these are anointed. And I think this idea that um, there's a double meaning going on here. The psalmist is going for two things. One is that, yes, this is, this is protective care, but this is also that the Lord is setting this person, setting the psalmist apart for a particular calling and ministry. So this idea of being anointed with oil is being honored, it's being, uh, it's being protected, but also that you and I, we are called, it says in the Old Testament that God says, look, I anointed Aaron as a priest, but I wish I could have a kingdom of priests. That yes, Jesus is the anointed one, the word Messiah means literally anointed one, but we hear in the, in the early chapters of Genesis as well as in Revelation that the goal, that what, what we are made for is to rule and to reign on this earth. And we do that in partnership with Jesus. And we're all called to speak the truth like a prophet. And this idea that you anoint my head with oil is that God is taking the psalmist and saying, I have a job for you, I'm calling you, I'm setting you apart, I'm commissioning you. So you anoint my head with oil. You mark me for special honor and care. You mark me for special honor and care. One thing I didn't, I didn't um, this, this week as I was doing the study on this, when Aaron got anointed, um, they would usually, and even the kings, they would have these turbans. It wouldn't just go on their hair or their head. It would go on their turban. And, and the oils would be oftentimes perfumed. And, um, and so they would, by, by anointing with oil, it would soak the turban. And the turban would take this perfume. And this, so whenever the king would take the turban and put it on his head, there would be this aroma that everyone would know that the king is around. And this idea that, G, that, that the Lord is saying, I'm going to anoint you with oil, and they're gonna, people are going to know that you've been anointed. I mean, it's a beautiful picture. Obviously, we're, we're, we're 3,000 years removed from this psalm, but, and we're trying to get back to what this means. But obviously, this idea that, that God has taken us and that he's anointed us with oil, he's, he's prepared us, he's calling us to something. And that whatever it is, 
He is going to make provision for it, that my cup overflows. Whatever, Jesus, whatever the provision is that God offers, it is generous. It's not a half cup. It's not even a full cup. It's an overflowing cup. It's an overflowing cup. All right, so you mark me with special honor and care. Your provision is generous to me. All right, verse 6, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Um, The word good, goodness, is simply the word in Hebrew, good. Um, In in the Greek translation of, uh, of the Septuagint, the word that is used is not just the word good, it's the best. So if you were reading this in the 2nd century B.C. in Greek, it would say, surely the best things will follow me all the days of my life. So goodness, and then mercy is the word that's used there. Mercy is actually not the best. I I don't know, again, I don't know why it's retained this word, but the word is is really not mercy. It's It's the word chesed, which is usually translated in your Bible, in my Bible, as loving kindness. So really it's this idea that surely goodness or good things and loving kindness will follow me. But this word hesed, we've talked about it before. Hesed is, there's lots of kind of love in the world. There's a way you love, you know, your neighbor. There's a way you love um, your friends. Um, But there's a special way if you enter into a covenant with somebody, if you enter into like a binding agreement with somebody, like a covenant, um, hesed Chesed is what is known as covenant love, okay? And I, I, we've talked about it in here before, but I, I want to re- reiterate what the image of chesed love is. So chesed love is, is what comes after you have a covenant with somebody. So the Lord has covenanted with the nation of Israel. Not every nation in the world, but with the nation of Israel. It's a special covenant. And because he's made this covenant with Israel, Israel, he is, he's obligated himself to give chesed. And it's not just chesed. If you're in Hebrew, you've got to say chesed. So say it with me, chesed. Good. I, sorry, wipe the back of your head um, if you're there. Okay, so what, what is chesed? So, and I've told this story before, but I just want, I want it, these images, when I think of what chesed is, this is what it is. So my friend Bob, I served with him on the, uh, the Hume Lake Board of Directors, um, He's about 89 years old right now. When he was 85, he had a procedure for an irregularity in his heart. And while he was under, he had a series of strokes. You got to know Bob. Bob was like a, a, a chief, a, a police chief. Um, like, I mean, he, when he was 80, like, he could beat me in a push-up contest. Like, and when he had these series of strokes while he was under, it incapacitated him. And now he's bedridden. But his family, particularly his wife Esther, now goes and sits by his bed and sings to him. That is chesed. Esther loves everyone. Esther loves everyone. She is a saint. She loves everyone. But she loves Bob with chesed. And so she sits by his bed and she sings to him. This is the way God loves you. You might have gone this summer to the fair or to Disneyland. Anyone? Fair, Disneyland? 
And if you have little kids, there's a good chance, I'm just saying, they might have melted down at some point. I'm just saying. And what happens if your son or your daughter melts down? What you do is you take and you put them on their shoulder, your shoulders, and you walk around on their shoulders. Now, there's kids all over the park and all over the fair. You're not carrying all of them. And the reason why is because you love your son or your daughter with chesed. It's covenant love. There are lots of people to be loved, but you have a particular kind of love. That is the kind of love, that is the goodness and mercy that follows you. I've had this, I've done this illustration before. Um, I self-report. I snore. I snore pretty bad. Um, I snore worse when I eat bad, right? Um, and so Kelly, she puts up with me. She loves me with hesed. If there were other people that made a lot of noise when they, like, are, even the kids, like, but she loves me special, right? This is, this is the way, it's covenant love. It's the way God is following us with goodness and mercy. My brother-in-law, and his wife went to Uganda. They visited an orphanage. This was about 18 years ago. They met two toddler boys, two toddler Ugandan boys at the orphanage, and they said, we think God is calling us to make these two boys part of our family. And so they adopted two boys from the Amani orphanage in Uganda. They did it, and their own biological kids said, yes, we should make Dwayne and Joseph our brothers. And they chose to obligate themselves to those two boys. That is Hesed. One just graduated from high school, the other is going to graduate next year. There were lots of kids in that orphanage, but they chose to covenant, to obligate themselves. When the psalmist says, Surely goodness and Hesed will follow you all the days of your life, what he's saying is that God has chosen to obligate himself to you in a special way way. And not just goodness and hesed will follow you. It's so interesting. This, it's, uh, it says, will follow me all the days of my life. The verb in Hebrew is always used when there's like a, when there's like, when someone's on the run for their life and there's like a party chasing them down to like get them and kill them. That, it's, that's the word for follow. Like goodness and mercy will, will hunt you down. That's, that's the verb, and it's this really interesting uh, juxtaposition of goodness and mercy are stalking you. Goodness and mercy are on the hunt to find you. Enemies usually stalk, and, but here enemies are around the table, and goodness and mercy are doing the pursuing. God's goodness and loving kindness are seeking us out, following us, looking for an opportune time to come upon us. Good things and covenant love are tracking you down. Tracking you down. I think the other sense of this, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life that they're pursuing, but there's also a sense also that goodness and mercy are behind me. And the psalmist is saying, God has been so gracious to me, God has been so good to me, goodness and mercy, that now as I walk through this life, as I walk on these paths of righteousness, that what follows in my wake 
is that goodness and mercy is coming out of my life and where I walk, that there's goodness and mercy that's being left behind me. Does anybody know someone like that? That you know if you hang out with that person, like good things will happen? Does anybody have a friend like this that you know if you're with that person, good things will happen? I have a friend, and I have a friend named Tom. I, I feel like every time I'm with Tom, he either says something that's meaningful or that he does something or he's on his way to do something that's really for the kingdom. And I feel like if I'm just around Tom, I know good stuff is going to happen. That's what the psalmist is saying. I know that goodness and mercy will follow. It will not only will pursue me, but everywhere I go, there will be these traces of goodness and mercy. Are you guys on board for that? Like this idea, wouldn't it be awesome? Like, wouldn't it be awesome? Like, like Howard, he passed, and I'm like talking about, he loved pastors, he was sending me books. That's because goodness and mercy followed him all the days of his life. And he left it as a wake. Wherever he went, it, it landed. We knew that Howard loved Jesus. We knew that Howard loved, uh, he, I forgot the minutes, Child Evangelism Fellowship. He loved it, he loved it. And because of that, it followed him all the days of his life. Wouldn't that be awesome if at our memorial or before that, hopefully people don't wait to our memorial to say nice things about us. Um, and, and don't wait, okay? Say, say these nice things. But like we want the reputation that goodness and mercy will follow in our wake. And we want to be, be a congregation where as we go out into our city, that there's no doubt that goodness and mercy are going to follow. And that goodness and mercy are going to be left wherever we go. And that's the idea that, we, that I can say, hey, I can call you on the phone and say, hey, there's this opportunity out there. Would you go do that? Because I know that goodness and mercy will follow you if you go. I know that you'll be a representative of Jesus and a representative of Taft Avenue. Goodness and mercy... Surely good things and your covenant love pursue me every day. And then the last line, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I think it, one of the interesting things about this last line is I will dwell is actually the word I will return or I will, it's actually the word repent. I will turn. And the idea is that I will turn back to the house of the Lord I will turn back to the house of the Lord. Um, maybe the best way to put this, if, if, if uh, Psalm 27, you might have heard this psalm. Uh, it says, one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That, that line, to dwell in the house of the Lord, it's the exact same thing. It's this idea that I've been out, but I know that I, know that I will turn and go back to the house of the Lord to worship the Lord all the days of my life. I will return, I will return, I will return, I will return, I will return to the house of the Lord. Now, I like my paraphrase. I do like it. But again, this is, it's a paraphrase. I would say this. If you haven't memorized Psalm 23, I think you should. I'm just saying, I, I, I don't do this often. It's not like if you don't memorize this, like you're a big loser. That's not, that's not the point, right? I, it's, 
You're like, okay, that, tell, me, tell us what you really think, Pastor Craig. No, no, but I do think, I think there are passages in Scripture that are, that are strategic to plant in our hearts. And um, for me, like, I go back to Romans chapter 5, therefore having me justified by grace. Um, we, uh, see, I, now I can't even remember it because I'm on the spot. Having been, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, and the rest of that chapter, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Like, these are the sorts of things that to have in our hearts, to have kind of landed into our hearts. I think Psalm 23 is one of those things. And I, I, it's funny, my, my father-in-law always gives me a hard time about this, but, I'm, but I'll, I'll say this. If you feel like the devil is kicking your butt, it will make a difference to have Psalm 23 in your mind, on your lips, and in your heart. It's a psalm of confidence. And look, psalms of confidence are not always prayed or recited in confidence. They are reminders to us. They are reminders to us that someone else has walked this path and they found a sense of confidence. And so, yes, there are times where you might, be, you might be saying it out loud and like, I believe that. And there'll be other times where you're saying it out loud and you're like, man, I don't know if I believe that. But I know that that guy did and I know that there's other people around me at Taft Avenue that, think that, that know that it's true. And so I'm going to say it as a discipline. And what we do is when, when we find ourselves in a situation where the devil comes knocking, the accuser comes knocking, the deceiver comes knocking, telling you what an idiot you are, how horrible you are, that you can say, Jesus shepherds me. The, Lord's, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. You might be in a situation, I don't know where to go. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Look, you don't always feel it, but it is a discipline. And sometimes just every morning if you wake up and you recite this, it'll just say, okay, where am I at today? Where's my soul at today? Like, what's resonating with me? It's a great exercise to have this psalm. I think we, you might do it also with like the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is memorizing scripture as well. That's from Matthew, the Matthean Lord's Prayer. These are the sorts of things, like I think there's, there's, there's key strategic passages to make as part of our soul. And when we memorize something, it becomes part of our soul. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit now has another club in the bag to pull out. Sorry for all you non-golfers out there. But like, when you are in trouble, the Holy Spirit can go, we're going to hit that one. Let's bring that scripture out. And that is going, that's appropriate for this situation. It gives God in guidance, the Holy Spirit in guidance, something to use to move you in different directions, to bring things to your mind when you have God's word hidden in our hearts and in our minds. And I would just say this, don't, don't memorize, don't memorize my, my, uh, my paraphrase. I think it's helpful, it might be explanatory, but use the ESV, I mean, this, whether you use the NIV, the ESV, even the King James, I think these are great examples of what you can memorize because I think it's, it's look, if the, the devil's coming after you, I'm just going to be honest. 
Like the thief is going to come to try to steal and kill and destroy you. And if you don't know that, like, I think if the devil's like, they don't know that, don't tell them that, right? Because I can, I can do it bit by bit. I can get them bit by bit. I mean, the devil's like, I can go long play. I don't have to wake them up. But the thing is, as we discipline ourselves to know, look, the devil's coming after us. We have these resources, and Psalm 23 is a great resource so that we might feel confident that what? The main thing, the main thing is what in this psalm? You are with me. Even if you don't memorize anything else, you walk out here, and an hour from now, you say, Lord, you are with me. And later on tonight, as you're having dinner, you're like, Lord, you are with me. And Monday morning, when you go in the office, you are with me. If you just take that phrase, I think that's good too. Like, these are the sorts of things that we use if we're going to walk with Jesus, if we're going to have a, a robust life of faith. We use these prayers, we use these psalms to guide us, to put them into our heart, put them on our lips, and move us out in these directions. So Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together. Father, we, we just want to say a word of thanks to you that 3,000 years ago, one of your faithful followers wrote this. And that it has been part of the life of faith of your people for three millennia. And today we join in that. We join in that long tradition of people who have leaned on this psalm to pray to you. Father, we're so grateful that you have given us these great tools that move us out in faith. Father, I do pray if there are people, if there's someone here that is walking through a valley of deep darkness, that you would surround them with some people who love them even this morning perhaps even to pray for them, but more than anything, Father, that you would give them the senses they need to know that you walk with them even in the fog, that even in the presence of enemies, you are honoring and vindicating. Father, we offer ourselves to you. We thank you for your presence with us this morning through your Holy Spirit. Jesus, we love you. You are our king. We will follow you. And you're our shepherd. 
And we pray in Jesus' name.